0: Well, Anthony, I really resonated with what you said in that sometimes it takes two or three tries from God to get through to me too. And so I understand what you're talking about. But one of the things about a mission trip that I could clearly hear from Anthony's story is that while we do go to make a difference in people's lives, many times we're the ones that come back and we're blessed and we benefit most. So there is value in both sides of the equation of what we offer and what we share and give, but also what we get and how we grow in our spiritual lives. So I hope that if you've never been on a mission trip, that you'll think about going. There are many different places that we're going now. I've been to Belize where Anthony has been, and it's a wonderful trip, and many of you have gone to some other places, and, and God has used you in significant ways. I want to take just a moment to offer a prayer for what we're doing in our community and in our world as we're trying to touch people's lives. So join me and let's pray together. God, thank you for all of the people like Anthony who through the years have said yes. They've said yes to your divine call, to be your spokesperson, your ambassador, your hands and feet, and voice and heart in many different places in our community and certainly in our country and around the world. Lord, we thank you for what so many faithful Oakmonters are doing through the good work of the Oakmont Community Center and the different ways that we're touching people right here in Greenville with our financial gifts and with the use of our time and our talents. Lord, we thank you for places like Belize, and for Eric and Julie Moss, and Father, we lift them up to you this morning and their family, and we pray your special blessings on them, that you would continue to give them the guidance and the direction that they need, that when they go through those difficult times, God, that you would be their comfort and their strength. Lord, we thank you for good ministries like the North Carolina Baptist Retirement Homes, and we certainly honor all of the senior adults who are living in those places. And we're especially grateful to be a part of the assistance, the financial support for those individuals who, who cannot afford to be in a place of care and support like that. So thank you for all of those who partner around our state to help support the North Carolina Baptist retirement homes. And we just pray a special blessing on each employee each staff person each uh, resident of those retirement homes and God this morning you may be calling us to some special work through our vocation or in our community or in the life of this church and it may take one or two or even three or more calls but we pray that our ears would be wide open and our eyes as well To see those places where you are at work and with gladness and with joy to join you in what you're doing. So hear our prayer as we ask it in Jesus name. Amen. Well, friends, let me invite you to take your Bibles this morning. If you have um, your mobile device or the pew Bible in front of you or you brought a Bible, you know, I think there's real value as we read the scripture of letting the words hit our eyes as the words also hit our ears. Sometimes we see or hear things when both senses are working. In Luke chapter nine, we're gonna start with verse 51, the third gospel. And in Luke chapter nine, beginning with verse 51 through Luke 19, verse 28, Luke gives us a travel log Of Jesus leaving Galilee up in the north and heading towards Jerusalem now we should not look at this travelogue as much as a geographical itinerary as much as I think it's a literary device and a theological device that Luke is using to help us frame and color all that Jesus says and does in light of his upcoming suffering and death And resurrection and ascension once he reaches Jerusalem so if you were to read chapters 9 through 19 don't read it as a geographical itinerary read it in light of Jesus is heading towards his death he's heading towards his suffering the cross also as we read the scripture this morning I want you to see if you can identify some surprising developments in this story are there some things that happen that surprise you that you might not have expected? And there may be some things that should have happened in this story that didn't occur, and we'll ask the question, why not? All right, follow along with me. Luke 9, verse 51, as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven. Now, Luke's starting to point us towards Jerusalem and his suffering and his death. Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Your translation may say Jesus set his face toward Jerusalem. And he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them, and they went to another village. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. You'd never thought about Jesus being a homeless person, have you? Hadn't quite registered that he was a homeless person. He said to another man, follow me. But the man replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God Still another said I will follow you Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family Jesus replied no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God sisters and brothers in Christ this is the word of the Lord thanks be to God well are are there some things that you've always wondered about Jesus but you just don't know the answer well I've got one here out of this text that I've always wondered about Jesus and I don't fully have the answer I've always wondered When it is that Jesus knows exactly the full extent of what awaits him once he gets to Jerusalem. You ever thought about that? When does Jesus really understand his purpose for coming into the world? When does he understand that his fate is that of suffering and death on the cross and the resurrection and the ascension is to come? When does he know it? does jesus know that information at age 12 when he goes to the temple in jerusalem and tells mary and joseph who are looking for him you know he kind of got lost for a couple of days and he says to them didn't you know i I was to be about my father's business does jesus know at about the age of 30 when he submits to baptism there at the river jordan to john the baptizer does jesus start to understand what awaits him earlier here in luke chapter 9 on the mount of transfiguration when he goes up to that mountaintop with james and john and peter the three innermost disciples and has that mystical experience with elijah and moses are they the ones that break the news to him Or is it in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus is praying and then he is betrayed and then he's arrested? Or does it all finally dawn on him the full realization when he's hanging on the cross? Now that's one of the questions I'm going to ask God one day when I fully enter into his presence. When did Jesus really know? what was awaiting him. But the scripture tells us in Luke 9, 51 that he is soon to be taken up to heaven. So Luke is writing, looking backwards, and he realizes that Jesus, as he's making his way toward Jerusalem, he, that suffering, that death, that, that cross is awaiting him. But we also find out something else in Luke 9, 51. In addition to the approaching time of Jesus' and his being taken up into heaven, the text also tells us that Jesus resolutely sets out for Jerusalem, or he sets his face towards Jerusalem. Now, I think what Luke is telling us here is that Jesus got his game face on. He, he's preparing himself physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually to endure the biggest challenge that is yet, he is yet to face, When the cross arrives, Jesus has got his game face on. We've all had those moments when we, when, when our game face, we got to get it on, right? I mean, you get to that point where the wedding date arrives or you get to that point when the birth of the baby is imminent. And you better get your game face on because you're about to be a husband. You're about to become a wife. You're about to become a father. You're about to become a mother. You better get your game face on. You know, I remember in a moment of great weakness telling Leslie when she was nine months pregnant and nine days late, much to her great chagrin, I remember telling her in a moment of weakness, you know, I'm just not sure if I'm ready to be a father. <laughs> I learned very quickly, you do not tell a woman who is nine months pregnant and nine days late that you're not quite sure if you're ready to be a father. I mean, I was being honest. I'm, you know, it, it was starting to hit me. You know, all of this responsibility, this is a big deal. I'm not sure if I'm ready. And I learned you don't say that to a woman at that particular stage of her pregnancy. I I won't tell you fully all that she said back to me in return. <laughs> but the essence of the message is you better get your game face on, buddy. It's going to happen whether you want it to or not. The study time has ceased. And it's time to take the oral exams or the written exams. You're working on a master's degree or doctoral degree, or you're needing to take some kind of licensing exam or a credentialing exam. The study time is over with. It's it's time to take the test, or, or your team has been practicing for days or weeks or months, and now it's time to play the championship game. You better get your game face on. I think that's what Luke is telling us here about Jesus. He resolutely set out for Jerusalem. He set his face toward Jerusalem. He had his game face on. The studying time was over. The practice time was over. It's time to take the test. It's time to play the game. But Jesus barely gets his game face on here in Luke chapter 9 when Several surprising developments begin to happen. Did, did you have you picked up on what some of those surprising developments are? Well, let's see if we can pick them out. Surprising development number one Jesus goes straight south down through Samaria. Did you pick that up? See, if you're a good Jew, you don't go through Samaria. If you're up in the north in Galilee, you cross the River Jordan, you go down south, you bypass Samaria in the middle, then you cross the River Jordan again, you come back across into Judea, and if you're heading to Jerusalem, then you're heading where you need to go. You don't go straight through Samaria. What in the world is Jesus thinking about? He goes straight through Samaria, And it really shouldn't surprise us, though, when the text says the people there did not welcome him because he was heading to Jerusalem. I mean, you know as good as I do that Jews hate and distrust Samaritans, and Samaritans hate and distrust Jews. So here Jesus is trying to go through Samaria with his message of compassion and love, but it's not returned. Instead, it is met with open hostility and open rejection. So that's surprise development number one that Jesus would even risk going through Samaria. Surprise development number two, James and John. Now, if you read in Mark chapter 3, verse 17, you find out that James and John are listed in that listing of the 12 disciples, but they have a little more description added to them. They are called in the Mark 3 listing of the disciples sons of thunder. And here in this particular story, they are living up to their reputation as hotheads. When the Samaritans in the village reject Jesus and don't want to have anything to do with him, what is it that James and John do? Well, in Elijah fashion, go back, and read the story later today in 2 Kings chapter 1. James and John knew this story. In 2 Kings chapter 1, Elijah is being chased and being sought after by King Ah Ahaziah. And so he sends a captain with 50 men to get Elijah and Elijah calls down fire on him from heaven and the fire comes and it obliterates the captain and his 50 men. And then the king sends another captain with 50 men and the exact same thing happens. Elijah calls down fire on them and they're obliterated and the king for the third time sends a captain and 50 men, but that captain's smart. He has heard about the other two. And he goes begging on his hands and knees to Elijah, please don't do the same thing to me. Don't let your God do the same thing to me that happened to my two other colleagues and his 50 men, their 50 men. So James and John, hotheads, sons of thunder, are furious that the Samaritans have have rejected Jesus and have been openly hostile to his message. So they want to call down a nuclear strike. And they say, in the text, they say, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to destroy them? Now, that part really probably shouldn't surprise us too much because we know James and John, they're hotheads, and they're going to react the way they did. But what is surprising is Jesus' response. I mean, if it had been you and me, we probably would have said, James and John, you know you're right. Let's give them a little divine retribution and justice. Let's show them. But the text says that Jesus turned and rebuked them. See, that's one of those surprising developments. Jesus doesn't act the way you do. He doesn't respond the way I do. It says he turned and rebuked them and they went on to another village. Well, that's surprising development number two. How about surprising development number three? That development is as they're continuing on the road, and presumably they've left Samaria now because they know the Samaritans don't want them there. And as they're on the road, Jesus meets three men, and the surprising development is the words that Jesus says to these three men. See, Jesus tells the first man that if he wants to really follow him, he must be willing to live and exist under the same conditions that Jesus does. Everything that happens to me, you must be willing to happen to you. Jesus is essentially telling the man, I'm homeless. Are you willing to be homeless? If that's what it takes to follow me, I don't even have a pillow to lay my head on at night. Jesus tells the second man that he must place him, Jesus, over every religious and cultural demand that even includes caring for aging parents and burying them once they die. You've got to love me and be committed to me more than you are your family. And see, that just blew the minds of the Jewish people because one of the highest things that you were called to do was to honor your, what's the fifth commandment out of the 10? Honor your father and mother. And we think that that's a commandment that applies when you're young, but for the Jewish people, honor your father and mother meant in large measure take care of your parents when they are older. Honor your father and your mother. And Jesus is saying, you've got to be willing to follow me and to put aside even those cultural and religious obligations If you want to be serious about me and then finally jesus tells the third man that you know he says you can't and back then of course they didn't have tractors to farm they had plows and mules and how in the world jesus was telling this man do you think that you can put your hands on a plow and look backwards and plow a straight line That'd be about the same um, challenge for you and me to drive a car and keep our eyes in the rearview mirror the entire trip. We're going to drive from here to Raleigh and we're not going to look forward one time. We're just going to look in the rearview mirror. You think you might run off the road into the shoulder? Jesus is telling the man that you don't look backwards at previous commitments and obligations if you're fully going to follow me. So those are the three sur- surprising developments. Jesus goes through Samaria. Number two, Jesus rebukes Peter, or rather James and John for wanting to call down a nuclear strike. And it's, you know, it's like, why shouldn't Jesus want to get a little divine retribution? And then surprising development number three is what he says to these men. But there's a surprising development I think in this text that doesn't happen. Have you figured out what's missing so far? There's something that's missing in the story. Something is missing. Now, if we were in a classroom, I'd break you up into small groups and let you spend about 10 minutes talking about what is it that's missing in the story. I'd make you work a little bit, but we don't have time to let you work this morning. So I'm going to tell you what I think is missing in the story. Surprising development number 4 that never happens is James and John. Why is it that James and John are not springing into action once again calling down fire on these three Jewish men who also like the Samaritans have essentially rejected Jesus? Where's James and John? Now, you could argue, well, maybe they were not there. And that could be the case. But if you look there in verse 57, it says, as they, I'm assuming it's Jesus and his entourage, were walking along the road, a man said to him, meaning Jesus. So if James and John are present, then where is James and John and their finger pointing methodology? Where is James and John and their condemning judgment? Where is James and John wanting that divine retribution on these fellow Jews who are rejecting Jesus and essentially saying, I'm not going to follow you just like the Samaritans rejected Jesus. Why is it that we don't have surprising development number four? Well, let me tell you why I think. James and John, if they are there, and my guess is they are, let me tell you why I think James and John were silent. And they didn't do any finger pointing and they didn't want to send down fire from heaven. I think the reason that James and John are not throwing their fellow Jews under the bus and do not see any contradiction whatsoever or any hypocrisy whatsoever in not calling down fire on the Samaritan people, why they are completely comfortable with a double standard faith, I'll judge you but I won't judge you, is because there is a religious and cultural prejudice against these Samaritans. But I think James and John know that if they point the finger at these Jews, then they've got to be pointing the finger at themselves at the, and the other 10 disciples with a similar judgment. You see, all 12 of these disciples during Jesus' three-year public ministry are constant sources of disbelief and heartache and hard-heartedness and prejudice towards others. You know, one of the dangers of traveling on the Samaritan Road and going right through Samaria is living a double standard faith. It's amazing how easily you see other people's failures. It's amazing how easily you see other people's unbelief. It's amazing how easily you see other people's sin so clearly. But it's also amazingly convenient to bypass our own sin, isn't it? I always wondered years ago why she was such a judgmental and finger-pointing person. This has been years and years ago. I always wondered why she was ungenerous and without grace and compassion towards other people who seemed to struggle with things that she didn't struggle with. Just to name a few, why she seemed to be so judgmental towards people with addictions, who smoked or had issues with alcohol or drugs. Always wondered why she was always so ungracious towards parents who struggled with parenting, at times, unruly children. always wondered why she was so judgmental towards marriages that disintegrated into separation and divorce. And then one day, in a moment of private confession, when her world was unraveling, SHE ACKNOWLEDGED THAT SHE HAD EXPERIENCED A TEENAGE PREGNANCY. AND SHE ACKNOWLEDGED THAT SHE HAD UNDERGONE AN ABORTION DUE TO PROMISCUOUS BEHAVIOR ON HER PART IN HER TEENAGE YEARS. And she acknowledged that she suffered a lot of guilt and shame because of those decisions. She said, I guess I decided that if I could keep the focus on others' failures and others' sin, I didn't have to look so closely at my